What's up? Not much. Here we are. Quick and <laughs> here we are. Quick and two weeks later. Is it? Has it only been two weeks? Yeah, this is what happens when we uh, podcast know. seriously. <laughs> so here's something funny that I forgot to mention in our little pre-conversation. Um, last episode, I was hearable. You were my vo- <laughs> my volume was up. <laughs> yeah, have you been doing some like voice coaching or something, trying to get you to speak? No, no. Well, the thing that I did was hold my microphone with my hand the entire time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is what I'm currently doing. Right. But the only difference is last week. So remember that thing that I told you how to do with your AirPods? Uh, no. Remind me. So. Both pod, both of the pods have microphones. Okay. Only the right earbud has the microphone. So left pod, right earbud. Yes, 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 yes. Do you still do that? I don't. I do both pods in ears <laughs> and I do uh-huh. microphone in hand. Ooh, microphone in hand. Yeah. I mean, so the background here is that every episode that we record, Jonathan's vo- voice is usually... I don't know, maybe like <laughs> at 50% the intensity of mine. At at best. <laughs> at best. Like 50% is like your peak. Um, and yeah. everything is usually, like I need to like yeah. go through and amplify your voice <laughs> and mute mine as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for some reason, last episode was fine. So even though my AirPods were broken during that recording and I had to kind of do some weird weird stuff mm-hmm. um i am maintaining right earbud no earbud <laughs> and left airpod and left airpod holding the microphone in my hand right holding it away from your scruff or your chin or whatever that's right that's right good very good well hopefully this will pan so out hopefully it's yeah yeah we're learning we're <laughs> we're, we're evolving <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> That's right. All right. So, Jonathan, uh, two weeks have yeah. gone by, and we got to do a little uh-huh. follow-up from our last episode. Yeah. Was there something big that happened? Uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe <laughs> you can tell me, mm. is there anything different in your life now? So, here's a funny story called, <laughs> I was ordained to the diaconate D- last Dude, weekend. what the heck? Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, isn't that crazy? Yeah, well, it might not sound... It's only been like 10 yeah, years. I was going to say, it might not sound <laughs> impressive to many people because people know deacons yeah. and they're like, oh, yeah. you're a deacon, that's cool. not a big deal. But it is because for us... Yeah, from, it is a big from deal. From our perspective, like you said, like we've been in formation for 10 years. It's like after a while, you start to really look forward to, you know, kind of the finish line. And it's not a finish line. In a sense that we're, right, there's still lots to do. Right, right, but there's something about it—a sense of completion and a sense of, I don't know, uh, of progress. You know that you've made in your yeah. information. Is that how you feel it? Yeah, you know, it's really funny. We just so we just finished last the week before in our theology of the priesthood class, talking about um, well, talking about the diaconate, but also this idea of the ontological change. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with this? Uh, say more. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea is that ordination uh puts an indelible mark on the individual. Mm-hmm. Very similar to what baptism is actually. <laughs> uh the catechism says that <laughs> baptism is like an ontological change. Huh. Although it does it doesn't actually go out and say that it's the same thing. Interesting. The Eastern churches do. The ontological change is baptism and not so much ordination. Huh. Anyway, so we, there's been kind of this joke going on amongst those of us that were ordained that we're kind of half-baked because, uh, well, if the ontological change is ordination, but we're still looking forward to one in June, what does that actually mean? Right. <laughs> Are we kind of changed, but not really? Uh-huh. So this whole question of ordination is really kind of confusing. Right. Right. And then I started thinking, well, hold on a second. We're thinking too small here because there are three ordinations. Mm -hmm. And so even to think of priesthood as being, quote, unquote, fully baked (laughs) is, uh, (laughs) is inaccurate because you're two thirds. Bishops are the, 
That's right. The bishops are the fullness of orders. Right. So this whole thing is very confusing. <clears throat> okay. Okay. So what, what do you make of all this? <clears throat> well, ontological change. Well, uh, it's a difficult question to ask. <laughs> what am I right now? <laughs> yeah. Well, you're a deacon and you're a deacon forever, uh, presumably, right. which is right. <clears throat> Transitionally. Yeah, <laughs> you're a de- <laughs> you're a de- <laughs> you're a deacon forever transitionally. Yes, um, mm-hmm. my understanding is that mm-hmm. uh, there are three sacraments that provide an indelible mark on the person: uh, the sacrament of baptism, the sacrament of confirmation, and the sacrament of holy orders. Um, the th- yeah. thing with the sacrament of holy orders, of course, is that it admits of degrees, uh, whereas the other two do not. You cannot be baptized again. You cannot be confirmed again, but you can be ordained again. Um, but we don't. S- well, it's funny. But we don't say We kind of got around that. How do we get around it? By splitting up baptism and confirmation. They used to be one. But they both used to be two sacraments still, even though it was done in the same ceremony. Right? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so, the, so the thing, the thing with the orders is that so there's there's three degrees of the same sacrament, and it's received. It can be received up to three times. I don't. I yeah. don't have enough theology of priesthood under my belt to be able to say. Um, yeah. But I could say confidently that you have received an indelible mark as an, right. an ordained person. Yes. Which means even God forbid if you left the diaconate as a ministry. Um, and the church gave you dispensation to be married, that you would still ontologically be a deacon. Be changed. Is that right? Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, it's, I think that's It's right. similar by parallel, and maybe this is a point of controversy, yeah. but it's similar to leaving the church, that you can be baptized uh-huh. and leave the church and still be baptized. You're still a baptized Christian, right. even though you've right. left the body. You've left the body corporate. Right. Yeah, that's true. So perhaps the well, it's, well go ahead. Uh, it's also interesting to look historically at the fact that well, you know, we think of these as kind of steps along the way, mm-hmm. you know, baptism, confirmation, holy orders, diaconate, priesthood, bishop, etc. Uh-huh. Whereas it's not always been the case that you receive one before the other. Uh, there are well. many <laughs> well cardinals, for example weren't always ordained mm-hmm. that's uh okay and there were many holy fathers that were just regular dudes augustine was he a priest before he became a bishop uh yes <laughs> i don't know well he may have been like the day before oh but... i see i see i see but you don't skip any right so you have to receive one first before you receive the other one Yeah. Maybe. I mean, and we've gotten rid of all of the minor orders. That's true. That's true. So even there, it's been a little bit modifiable. Mm-hmm. Okay, wait, but let's let's focus here for a second. You just got ordained. <laughs> so, I, yeah. so I want to talk about that. <laughs> I don't want to talk about the theology of priesthood. <laughs> why, are, yeah. why are we talking yeah, about yeah. something neither of us really know anything about? Because <laughs> uh, that's what we do. <laughs> We're Jesuits, bro. That's true. That's very Jesuit of us. <laughs> I would like to know from you, maybe speaking less... Uh-huh on the theological and more on the personal. Uh, talk to me about yeah. your experience in the last two weeks. We 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 spoke two weeks ago, and you were not yet ordained. You were still a layman. Uh-huh. And then yeah. <laughs> what was that last week of life as a layperson like for you? And then talk me through your ordination, man. Yeah, you know, the last week, it was, it was really kind of a roller coaster because we still had class, so I was su- still super busy, mm-hmm. as well as preparing for the liturgy, preparing for family to come. My dad came over to visit. Nice. Um, and so there was a lot to do and not a lot of time to think. We had our professional um, headshots taken the Wednesday before. Aww. And I just got an email. Apparently they just came in. Uh, They're probably super airbrushed. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's just a lot to do. So there wasn't, there wasn't much time to like actually, unfortunately, to like sit and reflect over what's coming. I mean, we've done a lot of that leading up to, so it's not like I haven't prayed. Uh-huh. Um, but the days leading, I'm and I'm sure it's the same for you know weddings and yeah, yeah, and big and big things like that. It's just a lot of heck. There's a lot of hectic things that happen. Sure, sure. Leading up to 
And maybe on some level that's helpful, right, to keep you busy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was, and I should also say that it was an incredibly consoling time. There wasn't, um, there were a few times where I thought, holy crap, what am I actually doing here? Mm -hmm. Uh, Is this really happening? Mm -hmm. But not in the sense of, you know, I'm, you know, I'm hiding or I'm faking it or something Mm. like that. It's been incredibly consoling Mm. uh, and confirming of my vocation. Wow. So, yeah, it was was a great experience. So, uh, before we get to the actual ceremony itself, I'd like to know, like, maybe, like, the day before, was there ever a moment of fear that you felt, like, as you were approaching ordination? Well, fear in the sense that nobody is actually worthy to do something like this. And it's certainly not from my own ability or own goodness that this is, that this is coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do, you know, you think of your faults because we're a fallen people. Uh, and especially in these days, right, where faults are on the cover story of every newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a grace there as well that you can just say, you know what? We are all sinners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's by the grace of God that I'm able to do any of this. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, there's fear. And I think there should be. There should always be fear. The Old Testament speaks of the fear of the Lord constantly. Mm. And I think that's for that very reason that I need to stay humble. Yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering, so I, w- I want to ask you about the actual ceremony itself and like how that experience was for you. But maybe like, Maybe just connecting a little bit again to what we talked about last time. Um, at some point leading up to, or maybe in the days afterward, uh, what's your experience been like as now you're you're a cleric, right? So you're in the clerical state as someone who's ordained. Yeah. Um, yeah. How have you maybe internalized a little bit some of the scandals that we were talking about a couple weeks ago? Is anything changed in your perspective? Has anything, you know, sort of settled with you a little better? Or are you still... You know, kind of like you were a couple of weeks ago, just yeah. thinking about it all. Well, it's still pretty recent. I mean, it's not even been a week yet. <clears throat> a week will be tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess superficially, one of the really cool things is now I get some really sweet parking spots. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. There's that. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's that. And that's that's no little thing. That's no small thing. I mean, it's a little thing, mm-hmm. but it's a anyway. Uh, so there's a funny thing that happens with deacons that you that we hear about all the time, but then when you experience it, it's like, oh wow, this really is a thing. Mm. So I've deaconed one mass, and that was last Sunday, the day after my ordination. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of things that happened <clears throat> that happened. Uh, where celebrants will take your parts. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with uh with what I'm what I'm getting at here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you have certain parts. So like, like you can say you can read the gospel, and yep. Sometimes the priest celebrant might read the gospel in your place. Yep, yep. So what happened was the parish that I work at is was formerly a Dominican parish. Mm-hmm. And so they still occasionally have Dominican visiting preachers. Mm-hmm. And so last Sunday was one of these days. Uh, and God bless this old guy. But as soon as I turned to the pastor to receive the blessing before reading the gospel, he was already walking up, grabbing the book. And I was like, oh, I guess he's reading. <laughs> Day one as a deacon, Jonathan, yeah, gets, that's right. Jonathan gets stepped over. That's right. Uh <laughs> And then the the very last, the go in peace, the the celebrant started it and I finished it for him. Oh, I see. I see. <laughs> I see. That's well, okay. They're getting used to you being a deacon, I'm sure, as you are getting used yeah, to yourself yeah. being a deacon. Um, yep. But to, to your point, though, I think, um, yeah, I think it's too soon to tell just because I haven't really done anything as a deacon. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly there's been my prayer life. Uh, has changed by the obligation to pray the the liturgy of the hours, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, which you had been praying before. That, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not something that I just picked up last week. Um, <laughs> that would I'm not that would be a tough transition. Great at it. Yeah. <laughs> to go from nothing to everything would be really tough. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, be, because it's not something that we practice regularly, it's been it's been honestly it's been a little difficult to to do all that's expected. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. And I'm working at it. Does anything change for you and your experience if, like, from praying the hours out of desire to praying the hours out of obligation? Um, well, I mean, I don't, I don't see those two as being so, I mean, we speak of desire and obligation as being kind of two extremes, two opposites. Um, but just like the, the obligation to go to mass on Sundays. Hmm. It's like, I don't think of it in that way, even though that's what it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is something that I really like. Mm-hmm. And I love the Psalms. Uh, so, yeah, this is something that I really have a desire to do well, mm-hmm. to be faithful to. Even though the the discipline of it, I, I don't have down yet. Right, right. Yeah, you're still kind of growing into your uh, into your role as a deacon. Yeah. So, yeah, in that sense, I haven't really experienced much of a change yet just because i haven't been with people in that particular role very much mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i would say personally though yeah there's you know this and this is something that we've talked about uh i guess informally you know back when um back when these scandals first started breaking there there were all of these people that were calling for the resignation of every bishop, kind of like what happened in Chile. Uh, and by extension, I think, you know, a distrust of a lot of clergy. And rightly so, I think. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, well, hang, hang on a second. I just started this. And so am I now all of a sudden responsible in some way? Right, right. I mean, you're, you're now part of the problem. You used to be part of the solution right. and now you're part of the problem. That's right. That's right. I I am now the man. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean that's part of the cynicism that you know even through formation you know you're you're the hope for the future until you you know become the establishment and you are right. yourself part right. of the problem. Um, yeah, I mean I I feel that cynicism creeping in a little bit sometimes and thinking about when you become part of the clergy. Um, as a religious, we've been religious for ten years, but then we get we get ordained. And the world sees us as we are, which is as ordained members of the church. And as such, you know, we now become part of the problem, it seems, because everyone gets yep. lumped in together. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, there's no there's no understanding of variation of degrees mm-hmm. of this re- of this new relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. But on some level, it is your responsibility as a cleric, it seems, to, you know, to take on the responsibility of being a representative of the church. Yeah, and you know the 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 bishop's homily at the ordination was all about speaking the truth. Period. But speaking the truth with love. Mm. And so I think there's a temptation that we can kind of get away from speaking truth because we don't want to offend, which is a good sentiment, you know, we don't want to just run around offending people left and right. Mm. Um, but we can't not speak the truth because of that. Yeah, actually, this brings up a good question. So I want to go put a put a little doggy ear on that one on the <laughs> the, the bishop's homily. I want to go back to that. Um, but you mentioned you know the truth as offensive. This is something you and I talked about off air um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh-huh. Say a little more about that. Is the truth? Can the truth be offensive? <laughs> well, no, <laughs> because it's true. Uh-huh. It can be hurtful, you know, the truth hurts. That's I think that's a true statement. Uh-huh. Because because I can have my own desires and I can have uh I can think that I know what's true and when that turns out to be wrong, well, I'm very disappointed in that because I like what I think. Right. Which is why I think it. Right. And it hurts to change. Right. It also hurts to I mean, sometimes stepping out into the light can be painful. Um Yeah. Well, it's like that image from, I think it's from St. John of the Cross of the wood uh, that's set on fire. You know, at the very beginning, it's, uh, you know, it's really disgusting. It, well, first of all, it takes a while to light. 
And if it's just a log, you know, out in the woods, then you've got all this sap and water and bugs are crawling out. So it's very smelly and ugly and, you know, etc. But eventually, you know, the log itself becomes the fire. Mm. And so there's this transformation process that's somewhat painful and ugly mm-hmm. that has to happen before you can truly be transformed. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Um, yeah, another example that came to mind for me, just on this topic of truth for a second, um, is Gollum, right, coming out of the cave uh, in yeah. in the Lord of the Rings, that the fi- that the the heat of the sun, the rays of the sun themselves, burned his skin. Yeah. Um, because he was so even the moon is too bright for him. Yeah, because he was so isolated from the truth, or so isolated from reality that reality itself became painful. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, going back to what the, the bishop was saying to you as a deacon, your charge is to preach the truth with charity, which mm-hmm. says something about your disposition and also about your intention. But the truth, the message of the gospel is something that you have to preach regardless. And if people take offense to the gospel, then that's their subjective experience. But that's not necessarily a condemnation of the message, right? The message itself is... Yeah worth saying because it's the truth itself um yeah no that's that's good i I, I wanted to go back to what the homily though just because i'm curious about like when i think about the diaconate the thing that attracts me the most and i wonder about you i mean the there seems to be a huge priority at least in the liturgy of the ordination there seems to be a huge priority placed on you as preacher yeah yeah that's interesting so there's a couple of things to that um you know, there are a lot of different camps on the diaconate just in general on like, are they pure, a purely functional role in the liturgy? Do they really even have a role outside of the liturgy? Mm. And a lot of that comes down to preaching. So I've heard a lot of people say, oh, if the deacon's not preaching, then he really shouldn't even be vested. Mm. <clears throat> sort of super functional in that sense. Mm. But if you listen to the prayer of ordination, what does the bishop say? Well, he's ordained to serve at the altar. Okay. Now, it's, it is also true that we are handed the book of the gospel, so th- they're not separated in that sense, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> it's not strictly one or the other. Um, so, I don't know. I, I kind of go back and forth, you know, and you see this played out in different ways, right? Like, the deacon, a lot of deacons I've seen will stand if they don't have, like, something to do at that particular moment at the altar, I've seen them stand very far back to be almost not, you know, not present there. Mm -hmm. That they'll only come forward when they have to hold the chalice or say a line. Uh And I think, I think that's just getting too nitpicky, too, uh, too caught up in the functionality. Mm. Whereas you're, it's a literally an ordination and you're ordained to serve at the table. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, and so be at the table, even if you don't have lines. Right. Even if you're not preaching. Hmm. This is part of who you are now. Yeah, yeah. That's good. I mean, it, it, it goes back to your earlier, you know, that theological conversation we had at the beginning about the ontological change is that, you know, apart from your exercising of a particular function at Mass, you're still ordained. And, right. you know, so like celebrate according to that which you are, right? You are a deacon and even if you don't have a line right now like be present as a man who is ministering at the altar you know a man who's ministering at you know the at the book of the gospels because you are yeah you are ordained not just for this task but for as a gift to us so be be fully yourself as as a gift to us you know yeah and you know, last Sunday, notwithstanding, but even if you're not preaching, you're still proclaiming the gospel, which is kind of a big deal. Mm. <laughs> uh, there was an interesting, to go back to our theology of the priesthood very briefly, there was an interesting moment when we were talking about the institution of the low mass as being this interesting turning point in, in liturgical practice. Because what is the low mass? Well, it's it's a liturgy that can be done by one person. Right. And so I don't know that we've ever actually recovered from that because think of it, and any Sunday liturgy can be done by one person. Mm-hmm. 
And so to say, oh, well, you know, the deacon doesn't really have to read the gospel because the celebrant can do that. It's like, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but it's preferable and it's kind of intended to be done by somebody else. Right. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. And it actually gets a, uh, an idea that I had recently with the diaconate is that I used to think of deacons as pared down priests. Um, but I've since changed to think of priests as sort of beefed up deacons. Um, yeah. And the, the way the reason I say that is not to put them at in, in opposition to each other, but just to say that we we give the role of the deacon to the priest in the absence of a deacon, um, in the sense yeah. of like it is not desirable for this to be the case. But because we don't have a deacon right now, the priest can take that function because he is, you know, he is still a deacon in his by right of his ordination. Right. Um, yeah, it's just to say that you know. The ideal for us to strive towards is a more complicated liturgy wherein the priest and the deacon and ideally also the bishop are involved because it's one liturgy. Right. Right. There's not a multiplicity of liturgies happening across the diocese. Right. Like there's there's one mm-hmm. mass right that we celebrate. Yeah. It's also interesting. Uh, this is something that I've seen maybe twice ever that even. In, if so, if there's a concelebrant and no deacon, then the concelebrant should have basically the deacon's parts. Hmm. So the concelebrant should raise the chalice. The concelebrant should say, "Let us offer each other the sign of peace." All of that. Really? Stuff. Because these are separate parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. No, I've never seen that. You've seen it twice, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, very few times. Right. It's just something that's not because what is our mentality? Oh, those are the deacon's parts. And if it's not, and if a deacon's not there, then the one person does everything. Oh, I see. I see. Hmm. Well, interesting. So let's let's go back to the ordination mass. Uh, what was the the highlight for you of that mass? Hmm. So there were a few. Uh, when we were during the litany, the litany of the saints, mm. when the ordinandi are lying down. Mm. Uh. I wasn't really expecting to be moved by that. And it's funny because, you know, people say, oh, you lay down and then you stand up different. And that's true. But it's mostly because, like, the pressure change from laying down to standing up rather quickly. Mm-hmm. You get a little lightheaded. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't want to draw too much of a distinction between kind of the natural process of the body and the way that our spiritual lives work. Because I really do think that they are connected in a very real way Mm -hmm. uh so it's for me it was an interesting moment to say oh yeah well this is just you know because x y and z why i'm feeling different right now but it's still happening at this very moment when something is happening yeah yeah (laughs) uh and so yeah i remember that being a a very very consoling moment Mm. um and then also during the prayer of ordination itself so after the litany we kneel basically kneel in front of the bishop while he prays this very very long prayer um that we were all during our rehearsal kind of preparing ourselves for just because we're kneeling on this hard surface and we're going to be there for an hour uh but when i when we were there it was it went by very quickly Mm. and very it was a very prayerful moment for me Mm. i would say those are the two the two parts that really really struck me the most that's awesome man um so i wasn't there but i saw some pictures and i'll tell you i was really moved by the vesting that i saw happen at your ordination mm. when you were vested a deacon yeah um uh-huh. can you tell me can you say a little bit about that <laughs> uh yeah so for some reason what was it the canada instagram account uh yeah had... the conference yeah, they 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 posted a picture of you getting vested, and in the right, you know, you you pick someone that you know that's been a mentor or a friend, and you you had a, a yeah. friend who got ordained last year. Um, yeah, vest you right as a sign of solidarity and and kindness to you. Um, but you had two people who vested you. Yeah, yeah, my dad was there. So yeah, it's an interesting thing, you know, like. Um. So the rule is that somebody of equal, basically equal rank, you know, it's not, anyway, is allowed to vest you. So deacons can vest other deacons 
priests can invest, well, whoever they want. Not bishops, I guess. But you can still have somebody there to help. Uh-huh. And so most of us had family members there um, helping our vesting priest or deacon um, vest us. And yeah, it was a wonderful moment where, you know, my dad could be there to be a part of that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. transition from one to the other. Yeah. That's probably the moment in the liturgy where I get the real, like a real sense that this man has been changed when now he's, mm. he's dressed differently. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how you guys did it in Oakland, but like typically that would be the moment also right afterwards you get the book of the gospels. But then after that, you know, with the offertory, you move into the sanctuary and you sit somewhere in the sanctuary. Yeah. 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 Yep. We did that. Yeah. No, I think that's really beautiful. Yep. Uh, uh, a change of scenery. Well, a change, a, a change in your soul, a change in your dress, and a change in your location. Like, yeah. you know, we ceremonialize the fact that something has happened to you. Um, yep. No, that's cool. That's cool. Well, I look forward to uh, talking to you more about this as you sort of settle back into that life of of ministry as a deacon. You're gonna, aren't you? Aren't you preaching this weekend? Yeah. So the practice at my parish is for one preacher to go the whole weekend. So I've got four masses lined up this weekend so i'll have a considerable amount of of experience by the end <laughs> <laughs> nice well we'll have to talk about it next so time then. four sunday liturgies that i'll have deaconed um yeah yeah i'm looking forward to it cool man um i was thinking about this uh this preaching aspect yesterday because i gave a homily here in the house you know we do sort of practice homilies at home and yeah, I don't know. I just started thinking a lot about what it would be like to be ordained next year, what it's going to be like to be ordained next year, and to have the opportunity to preach the gospel as an official, like, representative of the church. Like, as a, I don't know. There's just something about the preaching aspect that I find to be very attractive. Like, it's very true to my desire for priesthood is to preach the gospel yeah. um, at mass and in my life, but very much so, like, at liturgy, being able to preach the gospel, reading the gospel, proclaiming it, but then also preaching. Um, I don't know. There's something about it that I find yeah. very, very consoling. Yeah, man. Live the gospel. Proclaim the gospel by your lives. So uh, what else has been going on? Anything else uh, to touch base on? Uh, I have started a new painting class. Oh? Yeah. Here's a funny story. I like to paint. <laughs> and I'm trying to get more comfortable in some traditional media. Not so that I can become an oil painter. But because I want it to, I want to be better at my digital paintings. Okay. So you're learning techniques with traditional media? Yeah. And the, the, so the frustrating thing as a digital artist is that I can't solicit help from traditional artists at all. (laughs) Because as soon as you say something, the almost across the board, the immediate response is, Oh, I don't know anything about computers, so I can't help you. It's like, man, I I know about computers, and I don't want your help on computers. <laughs> I want to know what happens when I put a little bit of blue into green. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you feel like you're learning so, that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Uh, I think I've spoken about this before, but the thing that I don't have experience of is like what happens when I physically mix colors together. Like, I don't have a spatial understanding of that. I have a theoretical understanding, you know, by my color sliders. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, yeah, I think that's the most important thing that I'm picking up from these is, like, mm. what, is, what does that feel like to just dab a bit of burnt sienna, a little bit of dark in there to neutralize it out a little bit? Mm. Mm. Uh, so... That's what I'm really excited to get. And this is part of school, or is this on the side? It's on the side. Nice. How is that impacting you in terms of, like, your schoolwork? Well, we only had one session so far. It shouldn't be... I took a class last semester. It shouldn't be too difficult. Um, it's it's basically another three-hour class a week. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But you find it enjoyable um, more so than just... Yeah, 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 yeah. It's something that I can go to and relax with. Um and now that I have some structure, I'll be able to, I'll be able to do it 
outside of that time more regularly than I have been. I haven't really drawn anything this entire semester so far. Mm -hmm. So now that I have that, historically what's happened is now that I have that, then everything else will kind of fall into place. Nice. Yeah, I had something similar this semester. I started playing music again. Um, what? Yeah, I haven't played in a long time, and I thought it would be really good for me to, to play. Um, so I got myself a little little teacher on the side to to be able to jam with. You know, I I told him <laughs> a little teacher. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I I told <laughs> I told him I said, look, I don't really want like this to be a class. Like, I just want to pay you money, and then like you know we can meet up and then just play for an hour, and that's it. Like, that's all I want, you know, just to be able to like stay accountable and to keep, yeah, to keep playing, you know, um, yeah, and that's been really good, you know. But this this gets to a, another topic that I wanted to maybe bring up, and I'm glad that you brought it up through your your experience of art. And one of the things that you and I have talked about a lot is like having recreation and stuff, but also how is it mm. that we, you know, engage with our work and all that kind of stuff. So I wanted to bring up this topic, and I think it's a pretty big topic, and it's one that we've talked about before, but maybe beginning here with the question about your recreational art and me with music as sort of relaxing experiences. Um, so one of the, one of the podcasters that you and I both listen to uh, has been going through this process recently of getting off of the internet um, because of sort of an oversaturation with media and an oversaturation with work. Um, and he has been taking a complete desert experience from the internet. Um, and it got me thinking of conversations you and I have had before, because you seem to have a critique of that approach to the internet. Is that right? Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> um, that's fair to say. Yeah. I mean, I remember you saying like, you know, getting off of Reddit or Facebook, um, is good, but ultimately the question is not, how do I avoid this? But how is it that I, you know, learn to engage it well? Um, yeah, I think that's our, you know, that's our Catholic approach to things. Uh, you know, f the the unfortunate nature of American Catholicism is that it's very puritanical, which is entirely foreign to our to our understanding of of how we relate to ourselves and to our community. Um, and so our gut reaction when things get difficult, I think a lot of time is to just get rid of it, mm. throw it away. This thing is distracting and it's leading me. Maybe it really is leading me to sin. Uh, and so I need to delete all of my social media accounts. Mm -hmm. And that's how I will save my soul. Mm. Okay. I get that. I really do. Um, because, you know, if, if you're, uh, you know, what, what is the old, the old saying? We need to, um, avoid the near temptation of sin. Uh -huh. The near occasion. So if I, yeah, the near occasion of sin. So if this thing, tends to lead me to sinning well maybe i should just not go to that thing it's not just an old okay, saying yeah, it's in the gospel that's a th <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 that's a thing that's a real thing and i'm not trying to say it isn't mm -hmm. but i don't think that we can say that about human interaction mm. namely social media uh just because it's difficult doesn't mean that we should ignore it right right there's a great uh there's a great quote in the Lord of the Rings, uh, when I think it's during the White Council, uh, when Elrond and Gimli are having this little argument, and Gimli says, "Faithless is he that says farewell when the road darkens." Hmm. Elrond says, "Maybe, but let him not vow to walk in the dark who has not seen the nightfall." Hmm. And so it's like, okay, yeah, there's, there's not an easy. I'm not trying to say there's an easy answer to this problem. Um, but I will say that we've got it literally built into our, to our faith practice. We have a tradition of fasting, of prayer and fasting, mm -hmm. even outside of Lent, we have a tradition of prayer and fasting. Right. And so if we spiritualize our, uh, our ways of, of penance, why can't we do that with our social media practice? Mm. So I'm all for people, you know, let's, let's go dark on the weekend. Good. That's a, that's a form of fasting, mm. but it's not to say, let's give this up forever because I'm afraid. Mm. Well, 
okay, maybe we need to talk about something else. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. So I, I, I appreciate that. How is it that like, you know, for example, if I find myself, which I do sometimes, you know, overwhelmed with stimuli, with, yeah. with music. Take a break. Yeah, taking a break rather than cutting it off completely. Um, yeah. Now, so one of the one of the avenues of com- that's why we go on retreat every year. Yeah, yeah. So here's here's an analogy that I was thinking about <laughs> um, that might be helpful with this conversation. And I, mean, and I was thinking about it because of this podcaster that we listened to, and he was he was talking about how broken his attention has become because of an oversaturation of media that it seems like he is incapable of focusing on anything. Um, yeah. And I, I totally resonate with that. Like I, I can totally feel within myself too of like, you know, with the exhaustion and the anxieties and the work and all the different stimuli that are, that are around me, right. With my, with my work and with school, with all that, I can find that, especially when I find myself really tired, um, maybe not just tired today, but like tired over a couple of days or a couple of weeks, that attention is one of the first things that gets put on the chopping block that I find myself very much struggling to like keep focus um Mm -hmm. i don't know if that's true to your experience but it's sort of how how i can experience it so the analogy that came to me today as i was thinking about this which is why i want to bring it up so you remember in the 90s when we used to (laughs) try to like speed up our computers (laughs) by going through a defragging process (laughs) (laughs) yeah do you remember defragging your hard drive Oh yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking about how <laughs> there's something, there's something about, you mentioned retreat, but I was going to say it with like the hobby of painting or with music, like the cathartic creative experiences that we have in our life mm-hmm. that are not tethered to responsibility, but are just completely recreational. There's something about those yeah. processes or those activities, just like with prayer and with examination of conscience and with retreat that there's sort of like a defragging process that happens that I find that like, my 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 attention span i think gets sort of like fragmented over the course of time because it's split across so many different things that yeah. there needs to be a process of defragmentation where those pieces can be realigned to sort of make a cohesive whole you know what i mean yeah yeah so i've been i've been thinking about that just because this week we had our sort of fall break week and I, it was a very uh-huh. fascinating experience for me because I was in I was in Detroit for a couple of days and I told myself you know I'm not going to think about school at all for these few days and it was incredible how quickly I was able to rehabilitate my my sense of peace and calm and in approaching responsibilities and also even my sense of focus and attention um were able yeah. to sort of re you know realign after just a couple of days away from I'm telling you a regular practice of fasting does more good than anything. Mm. Yeah, yeah. What's your what's your current practice of fasting? So I've actually picked up um no meat on Fridays. Mm-hmm. Which is still a thing for Catholics. <laughs> uh canon law says, or whatever says that <laughs> or whatever we can't, yeah <laughs> etc says that we can pick up something else but that we should still have a regular practice of prayer and fasting mm-hmm. whatever that looks like it's like okay well i'll try this um and it seems silly but like this morning i went down to have some breakfast and realized it was friday and i thought oh well i've got to rethink things uh-huh and i think just that that little moment where you say huh I have to rethink things is something that we need more of Mm. in our, in our everyday life Mm -hmm. or maybe just once a week. You know, I find, you know, think back to when we were novices and we were first learning how to pray. Did the novice master say, okay, well, and now you're going to sit down for an hour and have contemplative prayer because that's what you do. Mm -hmm. Not at all. Right. This is something that you build up to. Mm-hmm. Start start where you are. Say a Hail Mary. <laughs> Say the rosary. Do something. Yeah. But but build. Push yourself. Yeah. So what But that's not easy. What so like the the moment this morning where you sat when you went down to the kitchen and you were like, Oh, I can't have bacon this morning. What you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, like what benefit was that to you to be able to then say, 
you know, oh, I can't have this. Like, what good was there in that other than just a sort of denial? Well, it's not so much of the denial. I mean, that's a big part of it. To tell myself I can't always have everything that I want exactly when I want it. Mm. I mean, that's that's true to everybody's experience. You know, bad things happen when people think that. Mm. <laughs> that they that they can have all of that. So th- I think there's value in that across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, you know, on the more spiritual level, it's, it's, it's an examine. It's bringing our life into perspective. It's stopping and thinking. I think that has, no matter what it is, right. or what it's, what it, what causes it irrelevant to me in my eyes. Mm. Do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So do you see, so I was trying to draw a connection between sort of recreational things that you do that are creative that are not obligatory. Do you see those as having a similar impact as the denial of something by fasting? Like, do you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the struggles that I have just in general with a lot of people, both inside community and outside, um, is this really distorted view of art. And I'm sure you can, you'll have a similar experience with music where there's, there's almost a dismissive quality to art, you know, because people will say, Oh, I don't know anything about that. So I can't appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Or, Oh, you know, this is too high class, you know, so I can't, I'm not posh enough to, Mm -hmm. to look at this. Uh, and I'm just thinking that's the, Kind of like, let's just give up on social media because I don't get it. It's like we're letting these impulses control us rather than controlling, than us controlling our, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. our desires and our understanding. You know, it, is Facebook controlling you or are you controlling Facebook? Right. And that's what these moments of stopping and thinking help to figure out. And so when you're actually doing it, you realize, <clears throat> oh, I don't have to be you know, some snob holding a, a glass of white wine in a gallery opening uh, in order to appreciate art, you can just do it or just look at it, go on the internet and look at cool stuff mm-hmm. and be inspired by it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's something about like, so the denial piece alongside the constructive piece of like having, having more art in your life or more music in your life, that is like you said that sort of can inspire you um it it just reminds me like so we call like when you paint we call it recreation like there's something like creating you again or creating you anew the sort of the building you up or like the defragging process can happen and so like the act of self-denial is sort of a taking control back um of your life and also just putting yourself in a position of examination right so where you can be Mm -hmm. aware of what's happening to you and what like what relationship you have to the things around you but then adding things too that are constructive, you know, as well can help refocus and maybe recreate you in a way that's rejuvenating and that, yeah, I don't know. I just find that a lot of times I, I forget those things when I'm super like, you know, very tunnel vision on my responsibilities. Yeah. A lot of those things fall by the <clears> wayside <throat> and I'm not really focused on being, you know, recreated or self-abnegating. All I'm concerned with is, you know, achieve, achieve, achieve and finish, finish, finish. Yeah. Well, people say the same thing in regards to exercise. You know, how many times have you heard from somebody that said, oh, you know, I was having kind of a crummy day and then I just went out for a run and cleared my head. Hmm. We got a new perspective. Or, you know, I was in the gym lifting heavy weights, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, it was difficult and I was, I skipped a day, so I was feeling a little bad. But I really feel better now. I needed that, even though it hurt. It hurt me. Mm. <laughs> it literally hurts your body when you exercise. It tears your muscles mm-hmm. in order to regrow stronger. And I think that's, you know, we're exercising a different part of ourselves. But I think either it's whether it's through painting or or playing music, it's a sim. It's the same thing. You know, I was having a crummy day, but I just found this thirty minutes. And it wasn't even to do, you know, an actual painting or something. It was just to do some sketches. Right, right. Like, that goes back to our practice of prayer. Like, you don't start 
by composing a song or by recreating the Mona Lisa, you start with some sketches and you just go from there. Mm. But you can't, you can't just stay there, right? You can't just stay at a jam session. It's got to go somewhere. Right. Yeah, no, that's good. That's really good. Yeah, I, uh, I find that in the, the hot, like we're in the middle of a semester right now and I find I need to maybe do a little bit of like self abnegation just to sort of help clear my head a little bit and like making sure that I stay in touch with things that bring me joy because I don't know about you, but when I get into the sort of the climax of the semester, I find myself very much just focused on finishing, you know, the work and putting a lot of pressure yeah. on myself. Um, yeah. So this, yeah. this, this reminds me, I was listening to a podcast today. Actually, it was an audiobook and, um, the audiobook was talking about, uh, something that you asked me to read, which you thought I didn't read, which was Spesalvi. <laughs> um, and I, I didn't actually read Spesalvi, but I was listening to an audiobook about it. And, uh, the, the author was talking about the opposite of hope is despair. And despair, which I can sometimes experience, and we talked about despair a little bit last time when we talked about the the abuse crisis. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I can feel despair also kind of when I am experiencing school, right? Like, oh my gosh, I have a whole mm-hmm. paper to write by next Friday, and I don't even know what I'm doing for it, and it's, it's very frustrating. Or like, I got to get my grades in, and I need to, you know, take take that essay those kids gave me, and I got to give it back, or whatever it is. And I can start to feel a little bit of despair when a lot of that anxiety creeps in. And the author was yeah. saying, you know, whatever whatever is the cause of the despair, despair is the opposite of hope because despair is putting hope in your own power. <laughs> so mm, like yeah. it's when and this is Pope Benedict, but it's it's when when we put when we put hope in ourselves and our own power to succeed, we can experience despair because we are ultimately incapable of achieving fully, you know, our aspirations without any help yeah. from God. And, you know, hope is so relaxing and is so peaceful because we're putting all of the responsibility, you know, into God's hands. Um, Yeah. I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. And I just wanted to bring that into the conversation just because I think about that a lot in terms of, you know, whenever I'm I'm relaxing and playing music or whenever you're painting or something, it's like, you know, life just clears up a little bit. And there's a lot more, you know, sort Mm -hmm. of like focus and clarity and like the the way of I feel a lot more in harmony with it's okay, like. You know, there's a lot of stuff happening in the world, whether it be terrible stuff on the news uh, or even just like on my to do list, like I got a million things to do. It can cause a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress that can lead me yeah. to a path of despair. But I think like, yep, like the switch from despair to hope is a recognition of who has power. Yeah. And it's not, you know, you getting things done does not lead you to. Uh, I mean, you'll be happier in the long run. But I think, well, even that, you know, we we sometimes forget that our happiness is not supposed to be an immediate thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it often isn't. Uh, that I'm, yeah, I'm suffering now in the middle of the semester so that, well, I can finish my degree or whatever it is, you know. Yeah. It, you know, there's one of the other things that that reminds me of that Pope Benedict brings up in that encyclical is hope is not supposed to be just grit your teeth and pretend that everything is fine. Uh, like that, what is that little cartoon, This is Fine, Little Dog in the Burning House? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not hope. Right. Right. That's being silly. That's being irresponsible. Hope is acknowledging that things are going either poorly or that things are, things are tough. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, it is okay when you're having a crappy day to say, I'm having a crappy day or to say, I'm really overwhelmed right now. Uh, and I think what you're getting at is that we can't just, well, we can't just stop there and say, well, this is just, this is my life now. <laughs> uh, great subreddit, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but we, have to point it to something else and say, yeah, this is crappy right now, but there's something later coming that makes this worth it. Right. 
or at least at the very minimum makes this bearable. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll disagree with that a little bit. Just I mean, so one of the things that this author uh, that I was listening to is saying is that the the focus of hope is not just an eventuality, right? It's not just that things will be better someday. Yeah, but it's a recognition yeah. that even the future is today. That today things are okay because God is with me now. Um, yeah, you know, not just that God will see me through when this storm has passed. Sure. Yeah, you know, but like you know that passage in the Gospels where the coming of the sea—it's like Jesus was in the boat with them the whole time, right? Um, you know, we think that the the peace in the story comes when the storm is dead. It's like no, the peace was with you all along. He was even asleep. He was at rest. Yet, you know, our focus wasn't on him. It's just to say that, like, I think you're right. Like, you know, hope towards something eventual that will come. You know, that's good and not to lose focus. But at the end of the day, like, if God is with me now. What what source of despair? What what cause of despair should there be in my life at all? Even though I can experience the storm and the rocking of the boat, it's like he's he's here with me. I mean, I, I don't know. I've just been thinking about yeah. that in general. With no, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, in the Lord of the Rings, uh, people think that the big happy moment at the end is when the eagles come and save Sam and Frodo. Right, that's when the happy music starts. Uh-huh. But the happy music. Or the happy moment, the moment, is when the ring is destroyed. Oh, yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Regardless of, of whether or not Sam and Frodo make it. Right. Their survival is not the happy ending. The destruction of the ring is the happy ending. So say more about that. How does that relate to, to but, hope? And well, because their, their lives are still in danger. <laughs> hmm. uh, and everything leading up to that has been despair hmm. um, and even Frodo gave in he lost hope hmm. and yet and yet good came of that yeah yeah was good was in that moment hmm. in his despair goodness was there right right huh yeah and also yeah the the destruction of evil was there even in spite of his lack of hope um, yeah of his failure yeah. And part of that is because he had a good friend, right, with him the whole time. Yep. Um, yep. So, I mean, maybe just to come full circle a little bit, like, I, I wonder what, so, like, in, in light of the scandals that we were talking about last week, like, I, I'm curious of, like, how do you not lose hope? <laughs> uh, well, to quote, uh, Bruce Banner. <laughs> The secret is, I'm always angry. <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't know. <laughs> I, well, I bring that up because I think we can't forget that we need to be angry sometimes. That that's an appropriate response to an injustice. Mm. And that goodness can be there, and quite often is. Now, the temptation to lead, and this again goes back to our social media com- conversation, yeah, there's a temptation to lose control and to let the evil spirit take over and to let our our anger turn to sin. Hmm. But that's not where it has to go. Well, I mean, but what... So, like, you're angry about the state of the church, let's say. Yeah, um, yeah. What do you do with that? Uh, well, pray. <laughs> that's the first thing that you have to do. But it's, again, it's not just this empty kind of thing that I just say that I do Mm -hmm. like prayer for the Catholic is something that leads to action whether it's a change of who I am you know I'm constantly trying to become a better person (laughs) Um, you know am I going to have an opportunity to change some of the institutional structures of the church probably not but I can live the gospel well and I can trust that the church teaches us how to live the gospel well, even though some of its ministers might be corrupt uh-huh. and broken mm-hmm. and fallen. Because here's a funny story. We're all corrupt and broken and fallen. Right. Hopefully not to the extreme, as we've seen in the news. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a special kind of evil that leads people to do that, um, to do those things. But God is still there. Mm. 
Yeah. Even though we have closed our eyes and fallen asleep, we have gone blind. God is still there. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. Like there's, there's been moments in the last couple of months where I had to keep reminding myself. It's like, okay, this is actually a good, like, like from a personal perspective, it's a very good test of faith of like, who am I putting my hope in? Like, is, yeah. is my hope in, you know, in my, my friend is my hope in my priest is my hope in my Bishop, even in the Holy father, or is my hope in God himself? And he, yep. he has given us his spirit and he's given us his son to be able to, you know, stay united and focus on, you know, the path of holiness and promise us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. And if, yeah. if I trust him and I have hope in him, it's like, this is going to be one rocky ride, but I'm willing to straddle in. Yeah. You know, because I have hope in his providence and in his call. Like, I feel like it's very tempting sometimes to throw in the towel and to say, like, it's too hard uh, because mm -hmm. we are so broken or we are so sinful. Uh, or, you know, maybe to put it in a less, you know, less cosmic, you know, like throw in the towel because the semester is too difficult. You know, I'm just not going to grade any of my papers. Right. I'm just not going to do any yeah. of my papers to throw in the towel. It's like that's so easy to like fall victim to when it's like, no, it's like, like. Keep, like straddle in and get ready for a ride but know that like god is god is here you know yeah but that takes practice that takes discipline to know be and again that to be able to do that to to say that mm -hmm. to have that practice of prayer yeah uh, you know it's like our uh, that moment i had this morning when i had to stop and think <laughs> hmm yeah, absolutely. There's something about like that that moment where you get to stop and think that that sort of echoes with this a little bit. It's like, okay, a lot of times I find that forgetfulness is the biggest enemy towards my growth and holiness. <laughs> it's like mm. it's like I for, mm, I for, yeah. like I forgot that it's Friday or whatever and I shouldn't have eaten meat. Like that's one level, but even like just forgetting that the Lord is near me. Um like that's 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 a huge danger to my path of holiness is that like, I, I just forgot. Like all of a sudden I woke up one day and yeah. I forgot, I forgot that the Lord was with me. Um, yeah. you know, I was super focused, you know, down on my, on the mundane of my life or super focused upwards to the scandals of the church. And I lost sight next to me of the presence of God who walks with me. Um, right here, right now, like, why am I despairing? You know, when he, when, yeah. before Jesus calms the storm, he, you know, he, he rebukes, he rebukes the disciples. <laughs> so he's like, why are you, yeah. why are you so upset about the storm? Don't you know that I've been with you this whole time? Yeah. And I, you know, I think one of the things with us and the Catholic church that we have to also keep in mind is that we can, we can be angry and upset with the men and sometimes the women in charge because they failed or, you know, they've, been corrupt or you know whatever but there's still a respect for the office mm. you know we don't give up on our structures because there's something more than the person that that is there at the time right and so even you know last episode i was kind of going on about the synod um it is possible to be weary of bureaucratic structures, but also I would never, um, I would never say anything negative about, um, about the college of Cardinals or the, or the synod of bishops or whatever, mm -hmm. because these are the structures that I believe in. Yeah. And the Holy spirit works through broken people. Right. Right. Yeah. I thought about that same thing with the Pope himself of like, you know, he, his, his name has also been brought into the equation for a lot of people. And I just thought to myself, yeah. it's like, well, okay, there have been, there have been corrupt men in that office, but at the end of the day, like, I think, I think I'm pretty happy, like with Peter, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. He's, he's a broken man and he's a sinner, but that's the first thing he said when he became Pope. He's like, I'm a sinner as well. Like we all are, yeah. you know, and there's something for me. Pray for me, I am a sinner. Anyway, that's that reminding myself of like yeah. 
he's he's a sinner too. He's broken, but like not yeah. losing. I mean, sight. it's the difference between Peter and and Judas. Yeah, they both sinned. They both betrayed Jesus. One led to self destruction, and the other became the foundation. Yeah, because one of them was contrite, and one of them remembered the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, good. No, this is helpful. That was very, very, very illuminating. I, I just, it's been, it's that moment of the semester where I remember at this point last year, I think you and I were both talking about stress. Maybe at this point last <laughs> semester of like, what, yeah. how do we deal with stress? And I think this semester, I'm kind of in that moment too of like, how am I dealing with stress? And this is very good. It's like, remember, you know, it's almost the 5th of November. So like, you know, remember, <laughs> <laughs> remember, remember, right? <laughs> that the Lord is good and that he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's here with me. Yeah, it's funny. So with this whole ordination business, uh, I've not really had time to think about how stressed out I should be right now. Mm. And so I think that's about to hit me, you know, in the next few days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got a p- paper proposal I've got to turn in on Monday and all sorts of things are coming up. So turns out I have to actually do some schoolwork. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not done yet? <laughs> yeah, weird. Oh, okay. This is my third year, but I can't just give up yet. Nope, don't ever give up. Never surrender. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> cool, man. All right, well, let's call it there. We'll chat in a couple weeks, maybe two weeks. Maybe we just started a whole schedule. Hey, man, let's do it. All right, dude. He's up. <laughs>